listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media, publisher of ACOWatch.com, and your Pop Health Week co-host with my partner co-founder, Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health, LLC, a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm. Our guest today is arguably the Dean of Population Health. David B. Nash, MD, MBA, is founding dean emeritus and immediate past dean of the Jefferson College of Population Health located on the campus of Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The Jefferson College of Population Health was the first freestanding, initially school, now college of population health in the U.S., In this interview with my colleague Fred Goldstein, Dr. Nash discusses the continued evolution of population health, the importance of educating the next generation of healthcare professionals, and necessary changes to move the needle in healthcare quality, access, and cost. Dr. Nash also previews what to expect at the 20th Population Health Colloquium in Philadelphia, March 30th through April 1st, 2020. For more information or to register, go to www.populationhealthcolloquium.com. So, Fred, over to you. Let's hear from David. Thank you very much, Greg. And, David, welcome again to Pop Health Week. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, it's fantastic to have you on. Uh, we've got so much going on in healthcare and other things around the country. And I uh, wanted to start by giving you a chance. You've, you've sort of uh, in a new role, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but talk a little about, I know you've been traveling all over the world. What's your sense of where we're at with population health, and are, are we making progress? Wow. Well, first of all, great to be together again. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, the last couple of months I was in Israel for the National Israel Health Policy Conference. That's an every-other-year event. And then uh, on the other side of the spectrum. A month later in October, I was in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates uh, at their annual quality and safety event. So it was uh, two totally different cultures for sure, but two two amazing trips. So population health, well, here's the good news. Uh, I don't have to explain it to everybody on a day-to-day basis, Fred, so that's progress. <laughs> um, and I'm not stopped even on my own campus to explain, you know, what's our school all about. So we are, we're making some progress. I, I think the real qu- qu- challenge is, is pop health management and value-based care and the road from volume to value, are, are we talking about all the same things or not? And, and I think maybe we should spend some time on what's the status of the definitions so we all know what we're talking about. Would that be okay? Yeah, that would be great, as a matter of fact. And I think that whole thing about, you know, I see all these different things going on all over the place saying we're doing population health here, we're doing it there. So perhaps you can help us bring some of that together. Sure. So, you know, it reminds me, you and I, we're old enough to remember the dot-com bust. I think today if you don't have pop health in your title, if you're a for-profit company, you feel like you're missing out on something. Uh, <laughs> You know, and so everybody's in the pop health business, which uh, to me puts a big smile on my face for sure. So here's what we tell people. Look, pop health management is applying the tenets of population health to a defined population, going upstream, trying to shut the faucet rather than constantly mopping up the floor, 
taking into account those really critical social determinants of health like poverty, housing, crime, drug abuse, tackling all of these issues upstream so we reduce the downstream spending. And if you're at financial risk for the downstream spending, then all of this makes sense. If you're not at financial risk for that downstream spending, and it's just, you know, fee-for-service, free-for-all with all of its pernicious incentives, well, then population health management probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense in your marketplace. But here's the ringer. Soon you won't have these options. Uh, you know, we believe, and I certainly continue to believe, that the road from volume to value is inexorable. It's just taking longer than we thought in certain markets, and we're accelerated in other markets. So that's what we think about pop health management, using the tenets of pop health to really manage a population towards health and to, to, towards good outcomes. Um, the road from volume to value, well, that means a lot of things to a lot of people. That could be at-risk contracting. That could be stratifying my population, so I'm really focused on the small percentage of people who drive a big percentage of the spending. It could be making sure we're accessible via telemedicine. And look, it's a big tent. So we'll take all of the above when we start thinking about the road from volume to value. At the end of the day, Fred, I don't care what you call it and I don't care how we get there. I'm all about let's practice based on the best available evidence. Let's use resources in the most appropriate way. Let's reduce waste. Let's do it safely and let's get a good outcome at a reasonable price. That's, that's the land of Oz that we are all headed towards. Absolutely. I remember years ago you were on a, a doing a keynote at the, at the Population Health Conference for the Population Health Alliance, and I think Kaveh was there as well, and we were discussing this issue of how broad a tent population health is, as well as, does it mean we need to begin looking at cost and price? And I think you really hit both of those saying, in essence, that it, 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 it will impact everybody, so everybody should consider themselves being a participant, whether they're a device manufacturer or a drug company, and also it, it will result in changes in payment models. And so, as you said, we see this disparity in where it's coming from in these various areas. Yes. Are you comfortable where we're at today, or no, is it really in some – go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, I'm never comfortable with the status quo. <laughs> you know? that's, uh, that's why I'm only 5'6 tall, you know, at this point. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable with where we are for all kinds of good reasons. And so let, let's break it into you know, some chunks. So first of all, amazingly, you know, Secretary – of HHS, uh, Secretary Azar. So first of all, he's um, one of the few cabinet officers who sort of really makes sense to me. And you've got to say, whatever your political affiliation, that he and CMS are at least on the right path with CMMI to continue with the experiments to get us on the road from volume to value. But I'm not happy with how long it's taking and the fact that still so many commercial insurers, you know, separate and apart from CMS, how many commercial insurers are still taking so long to even be willing to write 
an at-risk value-based contract and most especially blues plans around the country. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not happy. Um, uh, on the one hand, we're making modest progress, but I wish that many more markets were involved and I wish that many more payers would be willing to write contracts with providers where we really are at risk and where we really can, you know, make a difference if we do it right and mm-hmm. where we get rewarded for doing it right. Is in, in your sense, and you talk to a lot of people, obviously, on all sides of this industry, is it the health plans that are holding that back, or is it the healthcare system saying we're not going to take those kinds of contracts? A little a of both? Question. I think it's a little of both. It, it really depends on where you are in the country, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So everybody knows that most of this change goes from West Coast to East Coast. I think our colleagues on the West Coast are much more agile with all of this than we are here, certainly in Philadelphia, where there's very modest work in this arena, although we think more disruption is around the corner. Uh, So I think it's a mixed bag. really depends Mm -hmm. on where you are, which system, who the leaders are. You know, we we could almost name them on two hands, where the big integrated delivery system leaders are that are pushing to have value-based contracting, and they need a partner to do that. That gets us, I think, Fred, to the new jargon term, uh, the payvider, right? You know, the Mm -hmm. combination of provider and payer, whether you own both or not, or it's just a joint venture, but I really think that I heard that term for the first time this past summer, 2019, that mm-hmm. the evolution of the payvider, that might be the structure we're going to need to get on the volume-to-value road. Right. And is that, in essence, um, going to take that whole – I think it was Humana, uh, the director of innovation or the senior VP of innovation, made a comment a few months ago, maybe a month and a half ago. Um, in a, in a, a few years, we'll be a small insurance company. Yes, is that I think what you're saying? A, yeah, that's Heather Cox. Uh, she's the yes. you know senior most leader for all things digital at Humana. She created what they call Studio H in Boston. So it's not in Louisville. It's in Boston. It's got 300 new staff people. Yeah, Heather spoke at the 2019 colloquium, too. I, I think she's got it right, you know, um, it's not just going to be the insurance intermediary. I I think companies like Humana and other leaders are totally transforming themselves. They want to be in the health business, not just the insurance business. Yeah, I think of that when I look at companies like United with Optum, you look at Guidewell down here, which now is acquiring doctors and ERs and things like that, and obviously Humana's approach and some others, right. that they really seem to be moving that direction. And th- I guess that bodes well, given some of the recent stuff from CMS and employers that say, look, we're just going to direct contract with these groups instead of running it through some insurance entity. Yes, well, I think the big for-profit companies recognize that trend. Um, on the other hand, uh, you've got to have an employer with clout to do direct contracting. I come back to Philadelphia where I'm sitting on this beautiful pre-Thanksgiving holiday day, and um, we don't have a large block of powerful employers. Quite frankly, we, as the <laughs> providers of care, are the biggest employers. <laughs> so it, it's... Uh, 
you know, fascinating, paradoxical. Yeah, I'm chuckling about that, David, because it really was about to say, aren't you guys the largest employer in that market? So I think it's interesting here in Jacksonville, the top five employers are four hospitals and, and Florida Blue. So, right, well, let's not you know, forget, Fred, you and I, we've been around so long, Healthcare is the biggest business in our country. Right. You've got to keep yeah. reminding people of that, right? I mean, we dwarf everybody else. We're... We're, we're knocking at the door of 20% of the GDP, over $3 trillion. Nobody comes close to health care. Right, right. It's just, it's just fascinating to watch it continue to grow. Do you think, I know I've heard recently that most people are saying, well, we really appreciate where CMS is starting to go. You talked about Alex Azar and his work, David. Uh, is it the employers that are beginning to, at least the large ones, say we're going to drive this? I think that depends on who you talk to. The National Business Coalition I give them a lot of credit. I give credit to the local Philadelphia Business Coalition on Health. But employers are a mixed bag, too. They're hard to, they're as hard to manage as herding cats on the doctor side sometimes. They have their own agenda. Uh, sure, the large employers want to be in the game with us. I get it. But I think the real change comes from the CMS because that's that's a billion dollars a day in spending in healthcare. They're they're the biggest they're the biggest spender. Uh, you, you you know when you think of it in those terms that at the holiday table, you know this Thursday that day you know Uncle Sam is going to spend 1.2 billion dollars on healthcare. Imagine if everybody just took a moment at the holiday table to think about the implications of that. If CMS seceded from the union, you know, as an entity, it would be like the 15th largest GDP in the world. So it's staggering when you think about the national treasure that we spend and what do we get for it. Well, that's very aggravating. You know, pass the turkey, please. Well, what's interesting about that, David, is if you think about people sitting at their table this Thanksgiving, how many people can't fill that table because of health care costs? Well, that's another tragedy, another whole aspect of this conversation, Fred. I, I think about a lot of things that I'm thankful for and our family's thankful for. And in our great city, the founding city of our nation, when you think one out of four people lives in poverty, 20-plus percent are still smoking cigarettes, we, you know, 30% of all the children are obese, it, it's daunting. When you think about that, and when you think about the national epidemiology of the diseases of despair, national life expectancy going in reverse gear, I mean, it's enough to make you tear your hair out. And what do we get for all the money we've spent and continue to spend? It's uh, awfully scary. And uh, I know many of our listeners read uh, our colleague, Dr. Will Schrank, now the chief medical officer at Humana, his incredibly elegant work in JAMA a month ago about the level of waste and in Don Berwick's accompanying editorial where, where Don so articulately says, look, all these smart pedigreed people, his words, it's either a quarter or a third of all spending is of no value in healthcare. My God, can you imagine any other industry tolerating that? No, it's, no. It's impossible to think about with the stock market over 28,000. No other industry is going to do, do this. Right, right. So you've been 
founded the school that's now the College of Population Health, been working for decades to try and change things, move to newer newer um, pastures say, and, and, and newer approaches to this, particularly around bringing population health to the fore. What are you doing now? Your role has transitioned at the school, at the college. Yes. Well, thanks for asking. It's uh, really bittersweet. So um, I'm coming up on my 30th anniversary as a faculty member on this campus. Uh, I feel like a walking, talking dinosaur sometimes. <laughs> Uh, and my millennial children really believe that I am a brontosaurus, you know, brought back from the Jurassic era. But uh, in, in all truth, Fred, what a great journey. Um, so I officially stepped down as a founding dean in July of 2019. I'm uh, on the Grandin Family Endowed Chair, where I've been for 15 years. Uh, so I'm doing my research. I'm teaching. I'm mentoring students, uh, I'm traveling, I'm responding to, you know, inquiries every week from around the world, which is really fantastic. With my colleagues, we just debuted the third edition of the Population Health Textbook. Remember, when we opened the doors in uh, 2009, we didn't have a textbook, and now we're on the third edition in just 10 years' time, pretty incredible. The journal, Pop Health Management, is thriving. So when you think about the journal, the textbook, our college, I think we're, we're still con- considered certainly among the national thought leaders in the field. And I'm just uh, grateful that I'm still around to be a participant in the conversation. Uh, I'm planning on uh, staying at Jefferson in, for the foreseeable future as a faculty member uh, I'm working hard to get ready for the 20th anniversary of the Population Health Colloquium, March 30, 31, and April 1 of next year. That'll be our 20th anniversary. Can you believe that? So I'm spending a wow. lot of time on that. And uh, I've got in the works uh, one more book, which uh, hopefully will come to fruition uh, uh, in 21 when I take my sabbatical. So I have the luxury truly the luxury to be able to plan in advance for these kinds of wonderful activities for which I've worked the last 30 years to achieve. Well, you know, I, for one, would just like to say thanks for what you've done, because not only did you launch the school that became a college and brought in, you know, this put all these people out there, took population health around, but there are also, I guess, brethren of your school that are now other schools of population health opening up throughout the country. So well, really amazing what you've done. Uh, thank you. And yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So we're tracking, uh, I've lost track. There are about a dozen new colleges or schools with population health in their title. So these are de novo, not converted public health schools, but de novo colleges and other entities popping up, the uh, University of Mississippi, Arizona, New Mexico, Rush in Chicago just hired one of our adjunct faculty to become the provost and build a new school. So it's incredibly exciting. I think this it's always good to be the first, not so great to be the only such college. So we're thrilled to have all of these new schools and colleges popping up. And equally thrilled, I think, is the trend to create academic medical center departments of population health. And newsflash, have you heard of FLAM, P-H-L-A-M? It's 
So these guys got together in Seattle back in October, two months ago, to create the Population Health uh, Leadership in Academic Medicine, P-H-L-A-M. And that's wow. my good friend Bill Tierney and Mark Gugurovich at NYU. So, you know, fantastic. The more the merrier. Yeah, and as you said, every every company out there now sticks population health on their advertising and somewhere well, in their a, brochures, yeah, et cetera. Sure, yes, yes. I mean, that is a hoot and a half uh, without being too snarky. I mean, every single company in healthcare now is tells me they're a population health firm. Uh, right. A, including one this morning that I had never heard of, which will go unnamed. But, yeah, everybody is putting pop health in their title, no matter what they do. Uh, and it, it Literally, it's like 25 years ago. If you didn't say .com, you, you weren't cool. Right. So I think, you know, one of the things they should consider, obviously, is you have a wealth of various types of programs at your college, from yes. weekend on full up to PhDs, right? That's correct. So... Uh, over a decade and now under, you know, new leadership with our interim dean, uh, Billy Oglesby. So we now have the full spectrum. Just very quickly, we'll go over our our jargon. So we have our uh, Population Health Academy. That's our, uh, comes in two flavors now, three-day and two-day event, basic and advanced. We do that three weeks per year. And that's a huge feeder program into our master's degrees and to our certificate programs. And now we have degrees in all online, of course, in population health and population health intelligence and lean thinking and quality and safety and health policy. So we have a pretty good spectrum of available online, asynchronous, graduate level only educational opportunities. We also, of course, have our successful in-person MPH fully accredited program that's on campus. And finally, you know, our very successful uh, doctoral program in population health science, which is still largely in-person. And we're working towards making more and more of that available online because in my global travels, I get requests for that capability. Uh, and as I said at the outset, you know, my trip to Israel and Dubai, we're focused on helping, you know, most especially in the quality and safety arena. Uh, the Middle East is building lots of new hospitals, especially in the Arab world, and they want to get Joint Commission accreditation internationally, and they need more experts in quality and safety. When you founded the school 10 years ago, did, did, you, or did you see this? I wish I could could say, you know, I was like, see the future, (laughs) but I mean, we had a hunch that in the developing world, uh, population growth, uh, keeping up and uh, building new hospitals that they would need expertise in quality and safety. Um, You know, we're trying very hard to partner with certain organizations. Give you an example. Um, The Cleveland Clinic in Dubai the leadership there, Samir Elaham and his colleagues. Uh, there's a new medical school in Dubai interested in what we're doing. Certainly in Israel, you have Sheba Medical Center, the 10th best hospital in the world. I mean, they could teach us a thing or two, but they're interested in our quality and safety work. 
on the quality and safety front, uh, this year I'm the lead editor for the best-selling textbook in the world on quality called The Quality Book from Health Administration <laughs> Press. So that monster is uh, that's a global phenomenon, and that's in its fourth edition. So between the pop health textbook and the quality textbook, you know, we are proselytizing, if you would, worldwide. Fantastic. Well, we also, I know, yeah, I'll be looking forward to getting up there, and I was just at uh, teaching a class at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and, and those students yes. are probably going up there, too, to the colloquium. So tell us what's sure happening this so. year. Yes. Yeah, so they'll, they'll be there. Let me give you a teaser for March of 2020. Uh, we, At the moment, the lineup is pretty incredible. We have uh, Kavita Patel from Brookings. we got Jeff Brenner coming back after a four-year hiatus now at United, we have Will Schrank from Humana, Craig Samet, Donato Tremuto from Tivity. I mean, you know, we have all the leaders. Uh, I have Ted Kennedy Jr., who is an accomplished private sector lawyer working in healthcare. He's coming. I have Kerry Kennedy, you know, his relatives. So, I mean, we have some amazing headliners, not to mention the breakout sessions, the mini summits. And then we have a super special event built into the 2020 colloquium, which is on the Tuesday night, Fred. I've got uh, unbelievable four companies, all supported by Himantanaja, the billionaire creator of General Catalyst out in Silicon Valley. So mm-hmm. four of Himant's companies are going to be featured in a dinner presentation that I'll moderate about technology in pop health and the role of private equity in building new companies that are going to take population health, you know, really into the future. Wow. It's quite the lineup this year. Every year I've been, yep. it's, it's been amazing. And I know this is really the, the, the go-to conference for po- population health, both to meet people, network, and learn. So really looking forward to this year. Thank you. Me too. In the last couple minutes, what do you hope to work on in the next few years? What's your goal? Wow, you know, so uh, uh, you, you sound like my physician wife. Right? <laughs> it's a tough question. Well, look, uh, I want to be helpful to the college in whatever capacity, most especially mentoring students. That's what keeps me getting out of bed every day early and keeps me young. Uh, I love interacting with our four health economics and outcomes research fellow, our population health physician fellow with family medicine, our students, the students from the other schools on our great campus. It's the students that really are a core part of what I do now. Second thing I'm interested in is uh, going overseas and comparing and contrasting their technology and their ability to utilize resources in healthcare better than we're doing. So I'm looking forward to spending some time in both Australia and uh, back to Israel. Uh, I'm looking forward to working on a new book. Uh, I'm hoping to do a retrospective that, you know, I've had a ringside seat on many of the important changes in our industry over three decades. So I'd like to look back and look ahead. So that's on the docket. Uh, and then I want to take some time to also smell the roses and think about, you know, uh, what does it all mean in the end and what's my legacy going to be? My legacy are all the leaders that I've had a hand in training. That's, that's mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's all about the people. That's fantastic. 
Well, David, it's just always a pleasure to have you on and get your insights. Just amazing stuff. Really looking forward to the colloquium this year. And uh, congratulations on everything you've done. And I know there's still more to come. Thank you so much, Fred. I really appreciate your support. My pleasure. And back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank David B. Nash, MD, MBA, founding and immediate past dean of the Jefferson College of Population Health, for his time and insights today. For more information or to follow Dr. Nash's work at the Jefferson College of Population Health, go to www.jefferson.edu forward slash population health. Be sure to follow Dr. Nash on Twitter via at Nash Pop Health, as well as the college's vital work in the space via at Jefferson JCPH. For Pop Health Week, my colleague Fred Goldstein and Healthcare Now Radio, this is Greg Masters saying bye now.